Hey, everybody. I'm Jen Garrett, internationally recognized branding consultant and best-selling author of the books, Move the Ball and Dominate the Game. By having a relentless mentality, I've pushed boundaries and gotten into rooms with pro athletes and power players, built a successful business, and moved the ball in male-dominated industries. Now, I'm using my same of the ball methodology to help thousands of people dominate their game when it comes to their brands and creating opportunities. This podcast is all about uncovering strategies of the world's best athletes and business leaders to help you get to that next level. Join me in conversations that will elevate your hustle and get you across the goal line. It's time to suit up, to show up, and to move the ball. Hello, and thanks for joining in for another episode. I always appreciate you tuning in. If you haven't already done so, be sure to follow the podcast so that you never miss a future episode. And also share the show with some friends, family, colleagues, and coworkers too. I'm always grateful for you letting others know about the podcast. Now, today is my birthday. And yep, it's another year for me to really move the ball and also dominate the game. You know, a lot of people on their birthday, they start thinking about that next year ahead. It's kind of like another reset point for people, just like every New Year's. And at the beginning of each year, they think about how they're going to make this next year an amazing one. They think about what they're going to do differently, how they're going to get to that next level, whatever that means for them, etc. And for me, the same holds true. I'm really looking forward to the next steps in my journey and what this next year, being another year older, holds. And my promise to you is that I'm going to give it all that I've got and I'm going to leave nothing in the tank. I'm excited where this next year of life takes me. And one thing is for sure, no matter where I go, I'll be sure to enjoy the journey. We've got to. After all, life is too short to not appreciate and enjoy every day that we've been given. Something else that I'm a huge proponent of is continually carving out time for self-reflection. I wrote about this in my Dominate the Game book where I say that we need to call the timeout. These timeouts are essential for resting, for resetting, for refocusing, and also for reflection. Now, reflection helps you to do the replanning and the refocusing, but not just replanning. It also helps you to figure out a plan using what you've learned from your prior experiences. So this reflection is all about reflecting to understand, reflecting to learn, but also reflecting to celebrate and to grow. It is not reflecting so that you can get stuck in the past. That is not something you're going to do, and you're not going to use it to deter you from moving forward. See, this is an important distinction. Remember that the past is there for a reason, so we learn from it, and then we also leave it there. Just as the defensive back mentality goes, you forget about the last play and you focus on the next. So this reflection is all about looking back to learn, and it's about helping to propel you forward. So that's something that I'm really going to be doing here over the next few days as well. I've already started it, but it's something that I continually do, and I think we all should be continually taking time out for self-reflection. Now, for me, as I've been looking back and thinking about the past few months, it still amazes me how far this Move the Ball podcast has come. The movement has been around for many, many years. And yes, it has evolved and grown along the way. And while the podcast has also been around for a few years now, it's not been around quite as long as the whole movement. And I'm just continued to be blown away by the incredible conversations I get to have with my guests. And hopefully you've been finding them interesting, too. Over the past four seasons, there definitely has been a journey with the show and a progression. Not only have you seen the conversations grow, but I, too, have grown as a person, as a podcast host, and it's been a lot of fun. 
You've also seen this season me do more episodes of the show where I'm just sharing my tips, strategies, and perspectives on what has worked for me to excel in my career and with my brand. And here's a behind-the-scenes look. On earlier seasons of the show, I was really reluctant to do these kinds of segments as I really thought the value was through having conversations with others, with my guests. But I've gotten really great, incredible feedback on the solo episodes that I've been doing. So first off, thank you to those who have reached out and let me know what you thought of the show. And then also, people have really told me how much they enjoy just me sharing more career and business tips that I've done to help me accelerate my career. And I'm definitely looking forward to continuing to incorporate more of those into the show. So more to come on that this season and in future seasons, too. If you listened to my recent show with Renee Rodriguez, we discussed unleashing your inner superhero, amplifying your influence, and the importance of sharing your story. It's a fantastic episode, so I would encourage you to have a listen to that one if you haven't. And of course, to make it easy for you, I have a link in the show notes for this episode so you can easily find it. One of the things on that episode that Renee and I discuss is that you need to share your story. That's part of how you can amplify your influence. It's through the connection with other people through your story. As a podcast host, there are so many reasons why I love doing this podcast. And one of them is because I get to have such awesome conversations with very accomplished people who are in the top 1% of their field. And during those chats, I not only get to hear their perspectives or tips or advice on different topics, but they also share more about their story and things that they have had to experience in their lives. And there's been many, many stories that have left a lasting impression on me. And for you, if you've listened to a number of episodes of this podcast, I'm sure there are stories that you've heard that have made a mark on you as well. Now, what I wanted to do for today's episode was I wanted to pull some of the stories throughout the four seasons of this show that has really resonated with me. I'm sure you'll find them all interesting. And if you enjoy these segments, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the shows in their entirety. Now, some of these pieces go all the way back to season one, and I don't expect you to scroll through the entire podcast list looking for those episodes. So again, to make it easy for you, if you just go look at the show notes, I've got links to each and every one of these episodes right there in the notes for you to click on and have a listen. It's too easy. So let's get into today's highlight reel. The first segment I wanted to share goes back to season two of the show. It was actually the episode that kicked off that season, and it was with retired NFL quarterback Jeff Garcia. Jeff has had an incredible journey. Quite a number of people don't know that Jeff didn't start off his professional football career in the NFL. He first went to the CFL, won a Grey Cup there, and then made his way into the NFL where he became a four-time pro bowler. Now, on this episode, Jeff tells some great stories. He is an awesome storyteller, I will tell you that. And I pulled a part of one of those stories for you to hear now. But I would really suggest, especially if you're a football person, go listen to this one. He will keep you engaged for the entire episode. But have a listen to this piece. I accumulated three touchdowns that day in front of a home crowd at Candlestick Park in San Fran and we won the game, and I thought, wow, this is easy, man. I'm going to be great at this. And then all of a sudden, the wheels started to fall off. And that was my first year with the 49ers, and I was still learning on the run. And I started to realize that, man, things happen fast out here. And, you know, you really need the help of your teammates. And you can't do it alone. You can't put that pressure. And if there was ever a time that I really did start to feel that pressure and shoulder that burden, 
it was during that time. The next four starts of that season that I had really were a struggle. And I started to really look at myself like, okay, what are outside people? I started to listen to the noise, right? You can't listen to the noise, but I started to listen to the noise. What are the outside people thinking about the San Francisco 49ers right now? They see a team that's struggling. What's the major change? Well, the major change is the quarterback position. They don't have Joe Montana anymore. Steve Young got knocked out early in the season. He's not returning. They went from two Hall of Fame quarterbacks to now this guy, Garcia. How's he going to fill their shoes? And I think at one point I was trying to be them. And I can't try to be them. I have to be me. And I think it took a benching during that season. I sat for two games, watched another quarterback step onto the field and have a lot of the same struggles, if not worse, to realize that, hey, first of all, take the pressure off of me. You can't be Joe Montana. You can't be Steve Young. You have to be Jeff Garcia. You have to operate the game the way that you learn the game, the way that you know how to operate it, and also understand that you can be successful. Rewatch some of your successful plays, whether it was versus the Tennessee Titans or some of the other games where you had Good decisions, good throws, good timing, accuracy was good. All of those things. And and really it was my quarterback coach, Greg Knapp, who put a clip of plays together for me and said, hey, you're going to be starting this week. I want you to watch these 50 to 60 plays where you executed the play damn near to perfection to show yourself that you are capable of playing at this level that the game is not too big for you. And when I came back, the remainder of that season, I had five more starts. We didn't necessarily win any more games, but we were so much more productive. I was so much more productive. I went from my first five starts, two touchdowns, nine interceptions, to nine touchdowns, two interceptions in my last five starts, which led to my next season, which turned out to be a record-setting year for the 49ers and a Pro Bowl year for me. Next up, we have a snippet from a show I did in season one with Mike Pereira. If you watched NFL football for a while and you're not familiar with who Mike is, you've probably heard his voice, though. When you're watching a game and the commentators say, let's see what our rules expert thinks or has to say about this one, and then you hear someone talking about the call or the play, well, if it was a game that was televised on Fox and it was a few years back, it very well could have been Mike that you heard. For games now on Fox, you most likely hear his colleague, Dean Blandino, be that rules analyst. But Mike was the go-to rules analyst for a long time with Fox. And Mike's been involved in the sports officiating world for many, many decades. He was the former VP of officiating for the NFL as well. And Mike, just like Jeff Garcia, is an awesome storyteller. He's been involved with many games that ended up shaping rule changes throughout NFL history. And he's also got a book discussing quite a number of these games. We talk about that on the show, a number of different games that he found to be influential and so much more. So that is another great episode to check out in its entirety. But for this, we don't actually talk about any of that. Instead, Mike explains why his dad told him that he wasn't worth the quarter it takes to buy a Coke. Interesting phrase, right? Someone telling you you're not worth the quarter it takes to buy a Coke? Well, what is that all about? Have a listen in. Your dad used the phrase, you're not worth the quarter it takes to buy a Coke. Can you share with everyone listening the story around that and how that has influenced you and your life? 
it's interesting because basically I grew up as a baseball player. That was my strong sport. I was too small really to play football in high school or really any level. So baseball was my sport. My dad probably went to every game that I ever played, to tell you the truth, excepting for some in Alaska when I played summer baseball up there. But at a game when I was like 14 years old, it was an American Legion game in Lodi, California in the middle of the summer. 105 degrees in Central California, and I was playing first base at the time, and I went 0 for 4 and made two errors, and I was so thirsty at the end of the game. I mean, you're talking back in around 1964, 65, that all I wanted to do after the game is, game had ended, and after my splendid performance, I went to my dad and asked him to buy me a Coke. He looked right down at me and said, you know, you're not worth the quarter it takes to buy a Coke. At that very moment, it didn't have a great impact on me. It had an impact on my mother, who kind of kicked him in the shins. On me, it didn't really have an impact until later on. Later on in life, it the, the phrase came back to me. And as I was going through the years of my early 20s and even late teens, then it struck me that his basic statement there kind of drove me to try to find something to prove that I was worth the 25 cents. And that's how long it was ago that 25 cents could buy a Coke. But it really did shape my life and that I was always driving to find this, whatever it might be, to be able to say to my dad, oh, yes, I am. And that's really what started the campaign and shaped my life for basically ever. This next clip is from season three with NFL super agent Kim Miali, who is crushing it out there as a woman in sports. Kim is a phenomenal human being, and she is an agent with Rock Nation. She represents some of the top-notch talent in the NFL, like Saquon Barkley, and also she's represented others like Geno Smith and Leonard Fournette. The sports world can very much be a cutthroat and dog-eat-dog kind of environment, and it is just a tough industry to, to survive in and to thrive in. So have a listen to this clip where Kim discusses her first client deal and what happened. So when you first got your first client, like, or how long did it take you? How hard was it to just land that first? Because as you mentioned, I mean, this is a competitive business. Being a woman, it's even harder to get people to say, yes, I believe that this person is going to be the one that's going to best represent my interest in trying to get into the NFL. Like, walk us through that part of your journey and how, how difficult was it for you? Well, it was very difficult, especially when I got here. The first client that I pitched to and signed was Geno Smith, who at the time was the starting quarterback with New York Jets. And Rock Nation had just opened their doors. I was the first agent in-house, and no one could believe that Gino signed with me. And so it was such a scandalous situation. All of the agents were calling the Players Association, complaining, saying that it was really Jay-Z. He was really recruiting Gino, and I was kind of just the front name, but I wasn't really recruiting him or representing him. And at the time, there was a rule that prohibited agents from using anyone who wasn't an agent to help them recruit. And so I was brought before the NFLPA. I was deposed and had to give testimony about how I recruited Gino as an individual, as an agent, and had to really pass the test with the PA. So, you know, my medal was tested and I came through on the other side. They understood that I was a serious agent and did actually recruit Gino and his mom and spent time in that process. But, you know, it was difficult then 
when it happened, but coming out again on the other side and looking back, I'm glad it happened because it just made me stronger. Absolutely. I do think that every experience we go through, whether it feels good or bad, is there to really help grow us and shape us into a better person and do who we are so that we can continue to move the ball and do great things. So mentally, that's got, I can only imagine that's got to be a tough experience to go through. How was your mental state there? And what did you do to kind of just keep yourself mentally strong as you were going through that process? It was really tough. I mean, especially because, you know, I'm so thankful of the support I got at Rock Nation because at the time, the Players Association was totally fine with sort of hanging me out to dry and saying, well, if there was a rule violation, she did it, not you, Rock Nation, so you, we can just discipline her. And they they said, no, 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 Kim did nothing wrong here. We're standing behind her. And if you try and discipline her for something that she didn't do, we're going to not be in the football business. And that was really powerful. And so thankfully, I had that kind of support that kept me going. And, you know, I trusted in the promises that at the end of the day, I was going to come out prevailing because I knew we didn't do anything wrong. Next up, this episode is with Daryl Stinson. And that episode goes all the way back to season one of the show. This one I wanted to include because it's a very powerful story. And you can just hear the emotion throughout this as Daryl is talking, especially as he gets into sharing more and more of the story. So check out this clip. So I went to get an MRI and it comes to find out I had a pinched nerve and I actually had to have emergency back surgery or else my left leg was going to go paralyzed. The doctor did my surgery on a Sunday. And so uh, I had the surgery and coaches said that, hey, man, you have a golden opportunity. You can now focus on your education for free. You have a full ride scholarship and you can come around football whenever you want, man. You can still come and play and be a mentor like we value you as a leader. But for me, sports was not what I did. It was who I was. I couldn't let go. It's not that I didn't think I could be successful at anything else after sport. It's that I didn't think I would be fulfilled by anything else. I grew up like, I'm going to make it. <laughs> like, it wasn't an S. I had coaches who worked with NFL athletes, and they're like, dude, it's not a matter of if you're going to make it. It's just when. You can leave early. And so I couldn't let it go like that. So I rehabilitated my body. I begged and prodded and pleaded for the coaches to let me sign a liability waiver so that they wouldn't be liable for my injury or death if I came back and played the game. And I came back and I did so with some success. I, I earned a starting position, started making some plays on the field, but I did so at a cost to my physical and my mental health. For my physical health, I was taking, I developed an opioid addiction. I was taking so many opioids that my blood was thinning to the point where every time I made contact on the field, my nose would bleed. My mental health, I started to sell drugs all throughout the state of Michigan because it was covering my medical expenses because CMU wasn't paying for it because they didn't think I should play. They didn't want to be liable. If they pay for my medical bills, that means they they agree. So they couldn't pay. My personal insurance wasn't paying for me to play Division One football. So I paid for this stuff out of pocket. So my life for two years was complete chaos, mentally exhausting, because I'm literally going from practices to selling drugs, to classes, to selling drugs, to workouts and lunch, to selling drugs. And it was like that for two years. Finally, uh, it just got so bad where I started the, the opioids and all the epidural shots I was getting in my back uh, wasn't numbing the pain enough. I, I, I was running with a limp. I was still performing because I was so athletically gifted, but people could see on my film, this dude's in pain. Coaches are like, man, we can't we can't watch you do this here. So we're, we're, we're going to get in trouble. And they kicked me off the team, even though they needed me. And that's when I had to face all of these feelings of insecurity, of of the fact that, you know, Football could not mask, you know, because for football, it was like the release is how I dealt with all that stuff. But now I didn't have football to make me popular. So who was I? And so that led to depression. I didn't think that my life had purpose or meaning outside of sports. 
my opioid addiction turned into multiple substance addiction. I started mixing multiple substances to try to end my life. Um, I wrote my suicide letter. Uh, I tried to starve myself to death and I went from 275 pounds to 219 pounds in four weeks. And uh, all these attempts at suicide landed me in a psychiatric unit. And thankfully, in this psychiatric unit, I had a life-changing experience that helped me to believe that, you know what? Maybe there is something out there for me other than football and sports. Wow, right? Daryl is such an incredible human being. And his story of going through opioid addictions to attempted suicide to recovery and being resilient is very inspiring. It's definitely an episode I would say is also worth going and having a listen to. Just check out that entire show. I mean, it's very, very powerful. This next clip is with Gina Rivera, who is the founder and CEO of Phoenix Salon Suites. Gina was also featured on Undercover Boss as one of the CEOs. And on our conversation together, she talks about that journey to Undercover Boss, why she initially didn't want to do the show, what she learned from it, and how that impacted her going forward. I also did a highlight reel of women guests on the show a little while back where I featured Gina talking more about her undercover boss experience. So on this snippet, we're not going to talk about that or I'm not going to share that. What I want to do is give you some insight into her journey with her mom passing away. This is important because as many of you know, my dad passed away very unexpectedly. Her mom's passing was not unexpected, but it was it, it's just a powerful story that she shares. So have a listen to this one. You and I both share something in common that we both lost a parent. And that experience has definitely shaped who we are today and our path. You lost your mom a number of years ago. Can you talk about what that experience was like for you? So I was extremely close with my mother. She was my best friend. And when I was creating my very first Phoenix, she was very much a part of that. We sat down and and we picked out paint colors together and equipment and just everything about the salon and about my first location. And she had her stamp on everything. And I was like, gosh, we were just in this great time. And we were building, I was building my dream and she was part of it. And I could walk in my location and smell her perfume. I mean, it was just, we were doing it together. And I was at work one day and it was right before Thanksgiving in 2008. And she had called me because she was watching my boys while I was at work that day and my husband. And she said, Gina, hey, you know, I can come get the boys. I'm not feeling that good. I, I've pulled my back, playing with them, whatever. I said, sure. And went ahead. My husband picked up my boys. My dad took her to the emergency room. And gosh, that night, I'll never forget. I got off work because it was right before the holidays. It was like 10 o'clock at night. And I came home and um, my dad had called and he said, it's not good and you need to come. And I was like, okay. And I got in the car and I went to the hospital and it was then that we were told that my mother um, had stage four pancreatic cancer and that she was going to lose her life. And that sucked the wind out of my sails because, you know, I here I was with my best friend doing building my dream with her and she was so healthy. And again, I was like, God, why are you doing this? You know, she's my life. This is up there. And I got really bitter and I went to bed and I didn't get up and for days and I threw in the towel and I was so 
bitter and angry and struck with grief. And I didn't care about anybody. I mean, I didn't know if my kids were getting fed. I just completely shut down. And they had, my parents had moved in to our home so we could help take care of her during that time. And it was after about four days and my husband said, Gina, you've been in here for four days. You haven't eaten a thing. And I was like, I didn't care. You know, everything around me was falling apart. I didn't care about my salons. And I went downstairs one night before she died and my mother was laying on the couch and all 80, 80 pounds of her at this time. And she had kind of been going in and out of coma at this time. So it was getting close. And I sat down on the couch with her and I just broke down. And she, I'll never forget, she got her 80 pounds sat straight up and she got a hold of me and she looked at me and she pointed that little finger in my face and she said, get up, get up. Do not let this stop you from doing all the good that you've been doing. She said, Gina, I know this hurts and I know it sucks, but this isn't about you. You've got to get up. You've got to go and be there for those salon professionals. You can't give up on everyone around you, your kids, your husband. Don't let this stop you. And you know, I hear those words all the time because look at how many of us we want to give up. And we are all struck with, we all have our cross to bear, whether it's sickness, death, drugs, suicide. I mean, we all unfortunately don't get a pass on that. And, you know, I live by her words. And, you know, some days it's a real bitch, but you got to get up. And it threw me back into back in undercover box. For this next one, I am going to share two clippets from an episode I did back in season one with Justin Brooks, who is the founder of the California Innocence Project. As an attorney, something I've always admired is my fellow attorneys who spend their time helping to free innocent people from being wrongly convicted through organizations like the California Innocence Project. So Justin and the California Innocence Project have been able to, as I would say, move the ball in a very big way and make an incredible impact, helping to exonerate some people who had been wrongly incarcerated for over 20 years. I mean, can you imagine that being in prison for over 20 years? That's a long time. And so these folks are they are truly changing lives and helping people to get their lives back and their freedom back on this show. We talk about Justin's work, the California Innocence Project, and we also discuss a football player by the name of Brian Banks, who had been falsely accused of rape and who took a plea deal. Have a listen to the segment. So Brian was one of the best high school football players in the country. In 11th grade, he'd already verbally committed to going to USC. He had Pete Carroll coming to his practices. He was on one of the best football teams in the country, Long Beach Poly. And he was the star player. So he had his whole life ahead of him. And, you know, he was going to go to USC. People said he was going to go and play in the pros. And it all came crashing down one day when a classmate accused him of rape. Uh, Brian got arrested. He sat in a juvenile detention facility for a year awaiting trial. He was offered a number of deals that he rejected. During that time, that year, he saw his senior year of high school disappear, football disappear, his scholarship to USC. And on the day of trial, his lawyer told him, you know, we're going to lose this case. It's going to be your word against hers. You're a big black teenager. And uh, I've got a deal on the table from the DA that you should take. Because with this deal, you've got the possibility of probation. 
And if you don't take this deal, we're going to go to trial. We're probably going to lose. And you're looking at 44 years to life in prison. So it was literally door number one. You could go home, get your life back on track, get back to football. Door number two, you're probably going to die in prison. And he said, can I talk to my parents? They're right outside and they're, you know, they're waiting for the trial to begin. His lawyer said, nope, you got to make this decision right now. Now, imagine being in that situation, even as a lawyer sitting in that situation, if another lawyer was telling me that, it's not really a fair choice. It's like a doctor in an emergency room saying, you know, you go to an emergency room, the doctor says, you're going to be dead in 10 minutes if you don't have open heart surgery right now. What do you want to do? You know, it's, it's not a choice. So he took the deal, he pled, and the judge didn't give him probation. The judge gave him six years in prison. And so he ends up going away, and now his whole life falls apart, and everything in his life is gone. He gets out. He is trying to get his life back on track. The Wednesday after he got out of prison, like three days after he got out of prison, he actually played in a football game at a junior college. And then another shoe drops, which is California passes a law that convicted sex offenders have to wear ankle monitors, have all these restrictions on them. It made him not be able to play football anymore. It had restrictions on where he could live. It made it nearly impossible to get a job. He had to charge the monitor up twice a day. He had to sit next to a wall socket for an hour. Um, It just took his life back away from him. So out of the blue, one day, this, this girl who had claimed he raped her in high school, Facebook friend requests him and says, can we let all that stuff that happened in high school you know, can we forget about it and let bygones be bygones? And she ends up admitting on video that it never happened. Okay, so that's the first snippet that I wanted to share with you from this episode. The second has to do with the movie about Brian Banks. So in 2019, there was a movie released titled Brian Banks, and it was based on Brian's story. Have a listen into this segment where Justin is talking a little bit more about the making of the movie and why it was important to him and Brian. So there was a lot of interest in Brian's story. I mean, he's this very charismatic guy, as you said, incredibly determined. You know, he told his his story so well on the news that a lot of people just kept getting more and more interested in it. So we'd had screenwriters reach out to us, producers, directors. And the next thing you know, Brian and I are, you know, walking the streets of Hollywood, taking on meetings with all different people who wanted to tell the story. I thought it was an important story to tell because of the plea bargain aspect. And it was sort of full circle for me with the Marilyn Malero case because, you know, Marilyn was sentenced to death on a plea bargain and Brian ends up going to prison on a plea bargain and they're both innocent. For me, the problem is that plea bargaining has become so much a part of our system that at this point, 95% of people plead guilty and the risk of going to trial is so great that some of them are innocent. And I wanted people to see that. So for me, that was my agenda, getting this movie made. And Brian wanted the story to be told. And to Brian's tremendous credit, at all the meetings, he said, I don't want this just to be a movie about football. I want this to be a movie about criminal justice and about what happened to me in terms of that. As with the other episodes that I've shared on this podcast today, this one is a good one to go have a listen to and catch the whole thing. I mean, Justin does a great job talking about the work they're doing. If you like these two snippets that I shared, go again, check out my full conversation with Justin. It's very insightful. And again, they're doing great work to make an impact. 
And lastly, I've got one more clip for you with a phenomenal entrepreneur by the name of Kara Golden, who was the founder of Hint Inc., which is the company that makes Hint Water. You might have seen Hint Water in your local grocery store or online. Kara is someone who isn't just moving the ball. She is definitely dominating the game as she was named one of InStyle's Badass 50, Fast Company's Most Creative People in Business, Fortune's Most Powerful Women Entrepreneurs, Fortune's Most Innovated Women in Food and Drink, and the Huffington Post listed her as one of six disruptors in business alongside Steve Jobs and Mark Zuckerberg. So yeah, she's got a pretty good resume. And just have a listen to this one where she's talking about her journey trying to build Hint Water into what it's become today. We almost shut the company down because there were so many that were sort of piling on challenges. A friend of mine introduced me to somebody at Coca-Cola, and she said, look, I met this gentleman. I don't know him very well, but I met him on a plane, and maybe he'll connect with you as a, you know, early stage beverage company. So I was very excited to meet with him. I thought maybe he could help with production. Maybe he can help with distribution. Obviously, they're not really in the space around unsweetened flavored water, so it's not really competitive. I mean, I was so new to to all of this. When I started talking to him about what we were doing, and we had gotten it into, you know, a handful of stores in San Francisco where I was living at the time, it was interesting because he listened very carefully, and then he jumped in and said, sweetie, Americans love sweet. This product isn't going anywhere. This is all over the phone. It wasn't in person. Very dismissive. And the fact that he called me sweetie, I think sort of threw me for a few minutes. I thought, oh my gosh, you know, I'm dealing with somebody who's kind of a jerk, right? And should I really be even continuing this conversation or should I try and get off the phone? And instead, what I realized is that he had a very strong opinion about why Hint was not going to make it. And his opinion was counter to what I had seen, again, with a small audience, but the audience that I was hearing from, because I had that connection with the consumer, was telling me that they were really looking for a product like Hint that didn't have any sweeteners in it, that just tasted great. And they weren't getting that product prior to having tried Hint. So as I was hearing him talk, what I realized is that The challenge for a lot of large companies and sort of top tier players within any industry, frankly, not just the beverage industry, is that they kind of believe their own stuff, right? After a while. And I think especially if you're leading a strategy around the fact that, you know, this is this is the way things are and this is what consumers say, you aren't thinking about how the consumer is changing. You're instead justifying your own strategy, which is incredibly dangerous. And so, you know, I always tell people that the most dangerous competitors, challengers to an entrepreneur are probably not the big guys that have lots and lots of money because they're actually trying to figure out a way to continue to doing what they're doing and continue growing. They're not really looking at you. And if they do look at you, they're probably not going to compete. They'll buy you, right? They're probably not going to do what you think they're going to ultimately do. And so when I got off the phone and 
this was after he shared with me that the consumer wants to have diet sweeteners and lower calories. At that point, it was like 10 calories were, were all the drinks. And he said, we need to get it to zero calories. That's when I realized that I wasn't going to be able to convince him otherwise. And I shouldn't try to convince him otherwise. He wasn't going to help me with production. He wasn't going to help me with distribution. Instead, he was trying to tell me that my idea was stupid and it wasn't going anywhere. So when I got off the phone, that's when I made a decision. I thought I can either quit, which he probably thought I was going to do, or I could throw my foot on the gas and recognize that I have this audience and I just need to figure out how to grow it. He was a doubter. I wasn't going to be able to change what he thought, but I also got intel and confirmation that. So there you go. Some snippets from some incredible guests sharing their stories. Once again, if any of their stories spoke to you and piqued your interest, I hope they did, go check out those full episodes. I've again made it super easy for you, so no excuse, because you can't say, John, I couldn't find that show. Nope. It's right there. The links are all there in the show notes to every one of these episodes that was featured as part of today's podcast. And I got one more ask for you. Once again, if you wouldn't mind telling a friend or two or three about the show, that would be much appreciated. And it's one way that you can help me to move the ball, especially on my birthday and on day one of a new year ahead. Hint, hint. So please share the show. Okie dokie. Thanks again for listening to today's episode. And I hope you'll go back and listen to all of these shows in their entirety. And also check out Renee Rodriguez's episode too about just amplifying your influence, sharing your story, unleashing your superhero. Lastly, if I can be of help to you, be a resource, you can always reach out to me on LinkedIn, or you can go to my website at www.getinsidethehuddle.com. I'd love for you to share your story with me and also let me know how these Move the Ball podcast episodes have been helpful for you. All right. Thanks again for listening, and we will catch you next time. Until then, make sure that you suit up, you show up, and you move the ball. Thanks for listening to Move the Ball, everybody. If you were inspired by this episode, can you do me a favor and let me know? Go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. And also, share the show with a few friends, too. Next, I want you to go to GetInsideTheHuddle.com and join our email list. This will give you priority access to tips and strategies that will help you get more done today. Not tomorrow, not next week, today. You got that? Okay, until next time.